everyone and welcome to the uh, Shoe Speak HR podcast today. So you've got me, uh, Amy Leach, today hosting and I'm joined uh, by two very special guests. So I've got Rachel Harvey with me um, and Rory Stone, uh, both from our Shoesmiths uh, immigration team. So um, some of our listeners may remember Rachel actually came on the podcast. Um, I think it was probably last year at some point, Rachel, um, yeah, to talk so. about the, the changing landscape of UK immigration. I think, again, possibly pre-Brexit, maybe at the time or we were definitely talking about Brexit I remember that being a theme uh, yeah. during the episode um, so I suppose as, as a reminder for those that maybe haven't listened to that Rachel's um, an immigration specialist here at Shoesmiths um, specializing in personal and business immigration so how, how are you doing today Rachel are you okay? Yeah good thank you just about surviving the heat in Nottingham yeah. it's all good. Uh, Absolutely. I suppose I probably should add we are recording this on uh, one of the hottest days of the year, um, which is always fun. Uh, and then, yeah, we're also joined by Rory today, Rory Stone, who's an immigration and employment specialist at Shoe Smith. Um, so pleased to have you with us, Rory. Are you OK? I am very well. Thank you, Amy. I'm just about surviving as well. But yeah, we are all good in the outback of Nottingham. <laughs> good stuff. Um, before we get into the the topic today, um, I do ask a question of all of our guests uh, when they come on our podcast, especially for the first time. Um, and that's basically what your favourite podcast is, obviously, aside from this one. Um, so if Rory, if I start with you, do you have a favourite podcast? My favourite podcast? Well, I only really listen to one. So by default, I suppose that makes <laughs> it my favourite. Um, it's probably the High Performance Podcast by Jake Humphreys and the wonderful yeah. Professor Damien Hughes, but yeah, it's the only one I listen to, but it is also my favourite. Oh, great. What about you, Rachel? Has yours changed since last time? Uh, I think I've probably branched out a little bit. Um, not too much, though. I think mine's <laughs> gone from, I think it was fitness last time, to uh, anything kind of true crime related. Uh, quite yeah. a lot. There's a good a good few series on uh, BBC Sounds. Um, the Sherwood Unwrapped one is uh, one of my favourites at the minute. So, yeah, anything true crime. Rory says that makes me a little bit weird, but yeah, I'm fine with that. <laughs> uh, a lot of people do listen to those ones, to be fair. Though. They are, I think they're quite interesting and they're obviously a bit different from law to an extent. They might have a legal element in it, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Cool. So I guess the theme for today's podcast, we're going to focus on right to work checks. Um, this is something that I guess all employers and HR teams should hopefully already be aware of and be doing um, as part of their general onboarding processes and, and looking after those that maybe don't have sort of indefinite leave to remain in, in the UK from the beginning. Um, so hopefully today will serve as a bit of a useful, I suppose, refresher, reminder. But there's also recently been some updates in this area. So we just wanted to kind of talk through that um, and what's coming in. So I think probably a good place to start is go right back to the beginning and kind of just set out what actually is a right to work check. I don't know, Rachel, whether you're able to take us through that. Since kind of like the late 90s, early 2000s, the UK government began introducing legislation, policy and rules for, for employers to follow um, to basically ensure they weren't employing individuals illegally. And basically, it was passing on kind of border control and um, border force responsibilities from, um, you know, immigration officers to businesses effectively, um, which basically meant that in 2008, um, they introduced a civil penalty scheme, which um, can result in fines for businesses um, who fail to conduct checks. Um, and when they're later um, to have been shown that they're employing somebody without valid leave to remain. 
a right to work checks now have to be done on every single employee, irrespective of nationality. I mean, I think we've had it in the past where some of our clients have said, oh, um, it, it doesn't matter because all of the individuals that are working for us are British, so we don't have to check. Well, that's not the case. Every single person has to be checked. You cannot just assume that somebody is um, British uh, because of the way they look or the way that they sound. Um, so it's just really important to know that right to work checks have to be done on every single person, um, irrespective of their nationality, before employment begins. I think that's a really good point, Rachel, in terms of the um, the it has to be done on everybody, because we have seen before that people think it might need to be just done on those that are, say, not British nationals. But then the question is, how do you know somebody is not a British national or somebody is a British national? if you've not checked and actually seen the documentation to back that up. Um, I suppose that kind of like leads me on to suggest, I suppose, in terms of the checks that can be carried out, do, can the same check be carried out on all of the employees or does it have to be different checks for different nationalities? Well, up until April, um, potentially everybody would be checked the same. So um, obviously, aside from the adjusted COVID right to work checks, it would just be um, every single person's BRP card or passport, um, irrespective of their nationality, would be checked in the same way. But um, now there are two different ways um, of doing right to work checks. So the first one is for individuals who are non-British or Irish nationals, um, and they will have to generate a share code based on their immigration status in the UK. Um, and they do that using their current um, BRP card. So they generate a share code that is sent to the employer who needs to access the system from um, the em employer's side of the system. Um, and um, they use the share code along with the individual's date of birth. And that individual's profile will be produced for the employer. And it will show um, whether or not the, per the person has um, a permanent right to work. So, for example, it's somebody who's got indefinite leave to remain on the basis of their marriage or it'll show that somebody's got a limited right to work so maybe they've only had a two and a half year visa on the basis of um, their relationship with a British citizen um, but es essentially that that forms the statutory excuse for the employer basically if you've shown to have um, obtained the share code gone through the employer's side of the checking service it will then pull up the profile, which is saved on the individual's um, file, and it's saved there for um, a period of their employment plus two years afterwards. And that will establish any kind of statutory excuse against um, a civil penalty. Also, it forms a good kind of... Um, I say reminder if somebody does have limited leave to remain. So it will say some um, this individual has leave to remain until April 2024. That means that um, you know, four to six months beforehand, you need to have on your radar um, that an individual's visa is expiring, have that diarised in some way so that you can make sure that that individual is renewing their visa before um, uh, before their leave to remain expires. And then you would do additional follow-up checks. So 
Um, that that is the situation now as of April 2022 for non-British and Irish nationals. Um, for British and Irish nationals, the situation's a little bit more complex um, because we're in, we're in a, a, a strange transitional period um, because of adjusted right to work checks uh, following the pandemic. Um, there are also manual rights work checks, and also there are um, future changes which um, are coming in later in the year. Thanks Rachel no that's really helpful um, and I think it is quite interesting that obviously since April now the uh, for non-British uh, and Irish nationals it has to be that online right to work check and I think many employers may um, hopefully are aware of it but maybe catching up with that process if they've already had established processes in place for say manual checks. Um, I suppose in terms of manual checks obviously they still can be done for British and Irish nationals at the moment. Um, Rory do you want to kind of take us through how one of those checks would be carried out? Yeah so so manual right to work checks have obviously been around for a little while now but we are still hearing of some organisations who just don't quite get it uh, right or they're, they're just not quite sure um, as to how the process works. So just by way of a recap the easiest way to remember how to complete this is the four stage test obtain check copy and retain. Now we do hear uh, other variations of that we hear five stages we can hear three stages but for us that four stage process is the easiest uh, to, to remain compliant. So in terms of obtaining we're obtaining documents listed in list A and that can be a passport, a passport card or a passport endorsed now, it is also possible for British and Irish nationals to prove their right to work by presenting a birth certificate or an adoption certificate or a certificate of naturalisation. But those three documents also need to be accompanied by an additional document from the individual showing their national insurance number. So there we're looking for a P45, a P60 or a wage slip or something showing their national insurance number um, in an official document. So once we've obtained that, we're then checking the document. This process should be fairly straightforward. We're just making sure that the person in front of us is indeed the person whose document um, it is being presented. Now, we, we do again hear of cases uh, where people try and bypass the system somewhat by um, presenting family members' passports or documents. So we just need to be alert to that and, and making sure that the, the documents are genuine, they're untampered with, and they are the person's, uh, the person's sort of true document. And then copying, so making sure that that copy is really clear. Uh, it's on, it's uh, easy to see the individual's name. The expiry date can be seen. It's not blurred. Um, again, it's not a good look, really, if, if we have a compliance visit and we go, yeah, we've got all of our documents, aren't we great? And then they're all blurry or heads are chopped off on passports or whatever it might be. Uh, and then the final bit in that process is retaining. So securely retaining a copy uh, made either in hard uh, hard copy or electronically. Uh, and that needs to be retained for the duration of the individual's employment plus a further two years. So that four four stage process, obtain, check, copy and retain is how we would um, we would recommend that businesses really set out that manual right to work check. Thanks, Rory. That's great. And I think actually running through some of those stages um, brings me on to sort of another part of right to work checks that I kind of wanted to talk about today, is, which is actually how did that work, I guess, during COVID and the pandemic? Because it, it's all good sort of saying we obviously have the processes to, to check and make sure they're genuine documents and to retain a copy. But especially when we're in the height of lockdown and maybe sort of remote working a bit more, it probably wasn't always possible to do that. Um, Rachel, I don't know whether you can tell us a little bit more about sort of any changes that happened to right to work checks during the pandemic. 
Uh, so adjusted rights work checks came in, um, thankfully. Um, they, they didn't do it as quickly as we probably would have liked, um, but they did eventually bring in um, what, what they now call adjusted right to work checks. So um, as a response to people working from home and uh, not going into the office. Um, and basically it allows individuals or um, to send copies of their documents via email to their employer and the employer could then conduct the right to work check via video call. Um, so an individual would send a copy of their British passport or their BRP card to the HR department and they would then get on a Teams or a Zoom call and um, check that the individual claiming to present that, that document was, was the individual in front of them. Um, there was talk at one point about employers having to actually go back and do retrospective right to work checks um, on any adjusted right to work checks that they'd done during the pandemic. Um, but as our lockdowns got more frequent or, or more lengthy, the Home Office decided that that wasn't something that needed to be done. So any of the adjusted right to work checks that had been done during the pandemic um, they can uh, still be be relied on without having to go back uh, retrospectively. I think it also brought into focus the fact that the um, UK VI and Border Force could be a little bit more digitalised and it's, it is now forming part of um, a whole kind of process whereby things are done um, on, a, on a digital basis rather than um, having individuals bring in physical documents. Um, we know that BRP cards, um, which often form part of the right to work um, for individuals who are non-British and Irish nationals, they are being phased out as of the 31st of December 2024. And those, those people's status will automatically become digital in the same way as somebody who is an EU national who's applied for a skilled worker visa who's used an app. It's hopefully making it more streamlined for employers. But equally, I think um, it, the message potentially isn't out there, um, uh, even though this these new checks came for, you know, for the digital checks for non-British and Irish nationals. They came in in April. I, th I still think there may be some employers that are, are doing it, doing it the old way. Um, and I think it, I think that's probably being confused a bit by the fact that there are still adjusted right to work checks for British and Irish nationals. So in terms of the adjusted right to work checks, is that set to kind of go on indefinitely or is there a sort of a date when that's going to, to cease? So obviously adjusted right to work checks have ceased for non-British and Irish nationals and they have to be checked digitally. And that was obviously started in April. But for um, British and Irish nationals, um, adjusted right to work checks will end on the 30th of September. Um, and at which point employers must use the IDVT options um, or carry out the manual right to work checks um, that Rory's just just explained and um, you know we've done round tables and you know we've done webinars and seminars and we always get the question you know but what happens if my employer is based in you know the employer is based in London the individual is based in the northeast how how can we do um, a manual check well 
obviously, if you're not going to use the IDVT, um, which is the new identity document uh, technology, um, the individual, in order to satisfy the rules um, to carry out a manual rights of work check, basically, they will have to send you their passport um, or send the, the HR department their passport um, in its original form uh, via courier or special delivery. And then the HR department can get on a, um, on a Zoom or a Teams call with the individual, check that they've got you know, that the individual is the one presented um, and on the passport, they then do their regular manual right to work checks as Rory's explained and retain it. But then they then have to send the passport back uh, via special delivery or courier. So there is still there is still that option at the end of the adjusted right to work checks. But, um, you know, the adjusted right to work checks um, as per the pandemic rules will end on the 30th of September. No, that's great. Thank you. And you, you obviously mentioned there about the uh, IDVTs. So we obviously love a uh, abbreviations and, and <laughs> phrases in the world of immigration. Um, Rory, do you want to give us a bit more insight into, um, I suppose, what is the IDVT and how that might work? Yeah, absolutely. So IDVT, which stands for Identity Document Verification Technology, um, is a new way of conducting the right to work check. So just on British and Irish nationals, as Rachel said. Um, so it will come into effect on the 1st of October, the day after the adjusted right to work checks come to an end. Uh, and obviously Rachel spoke earlier about uh, the adjusted right to work checks and how they can be completed. But once they come to an end, the IDVT route kicks in uh, really as an alternative um, to it. So the IDVT uh, route involves businesses instructing an identity service provider, uh, sometimes referred to as an IDSP, just to make things um, even more complicated, uh, to conduct the check on the British and Irish nationals passport on their behalf, um, using the technology really that they've got at their uh, disposal. At the minute, there's only a handful of approved uh, IDSPs on the government website. Uh, we don't really yet know or have an indication as to what the pricing or the offering will look like. So this is very much an evolving process. Um, it is important to note here that they can only check valid British and Irish passports. So if there is an individual that presents any type of document from list A other than a valid passport, so a birth certificate or uh, even an expired British passport, this route's not going to be available. So we're going to have to revert back to that manual right to work check uh, for it to be undertaken. Um, we'd stress here as well, though, that the business instructing an IDSP to undertake the right to work check doesn't just absolve themselves of that liability. So they still will be expected to obtain the documents, uh, sort of check it just at face value and retain that copy. So if it's later discovered that the IDSP uh, was incorrect and that the individual was an illegal worker, I guess the business is still going to be held liable. Um, so there is just that that sort of uh, point to make for businesses out there who are considering um, appointing IDSPs who perhaps think that it's a, it's a nice safety net uh, and something that they don't they they sort of don't then have to worry about. 
No, thanks, Rory. That's great. And I think, um, sort of, as you said, there's a couple that I think have been authorised now um, in terms of that that can kind of provide this service. But I expect we may see a few more crop up. And um, and I suppose, I think, um, and I suppose, correct me if I'm wrong, I think any company can actually apply to become one um, and go through the relevant process. Um, so it might be that actually some of our listeners are thinking that's something they would like to do and actually a service they would like to provide. Um so it's something to bear in mind. Um, I suppose just to kind of tie off our, our topic today. So we've obviously spoken through the, the different kinds of checks, um, the sort of changes coming in, changes that have already come in. I suppose what are the, the consequences for a business if um, they don't complete right to work checks properly? I don't know if you want to take this first, Rory, and then we can see if Rachel wants to add um, anything to it. Yeah, absolutely. So I think I'm going to caveat the answer first by saying <laughs> that the consequences can be severe, but that the UKVI very much take a collaborative approach to any problems that do arise. So if any businesses do unearth uh, any issues, perhaps from the result of an internal audit, um, you, the UKVI will be much more lenient if it's reported to them first. Businesses will get an immediate £5,000 deduction from any civil penalty imposed um, and a further reduction may apply for cooperation early payments and things like that so collaboration is advised however in the worst case scenarios um businesses can be fined up to £20,000 per illegal worker and this is recovered as a debt through a civil uh, penalty notice. If businesses are found to be guilty of employing someone they knew or had reasonable cause to believe did not have the right to work in the UK, then that person could be sent to prison as well. So you've got that dual criminal civil um, sort of sanctions looming over you there. And it doesn't stop there. Obviously, the public embarrassment um, might um, might not be the best look for businesses but UKVI do also have the power to implement what we're calling business impact sanctions um, and this includes freezing any profits that might have been made directly from the employment of the legal workers or the withdrawal of a sponsor license or banning individuals from acting as directors so those sanctions are designed to really impact the whole business um, and make right to work checks and the employment of illegal workers a really uh, sort of a number one um, priority for um, for businesses. As I said, though, at the start, if a business does uncover any problems and are concerned, then it is always better to either speak with us here at Shoesmiths uh, or, or directly with the UKVI just to mitigate things straight away from the from the outset. Do you want to add anything, Rachel, to, to that? No, I mean, I think obviously Rory's kind of hit the nail on the head in terms of it, it can be severe, but equally, the most important thing is to give full disclosure to the Home Office um, at the outset if if something comes up internally. Um, it may be that they actually don't take any action at all, um, but the fact that you have reported it can obviously mitigate any severe circumstances. I think uh, having done immigration for almost 17 years, I think one of the things that has come up in the past is um, employers um, employing students um, and not realising that they can only do 20 hours a week during term time um, and the fact that they also have to return re retain evidence of um, somebody's um, term times and term dates from the university. Um, 
And for example, um, you know, civil penalties have been imposed um, for allowing students to work as little as 21 hours. So one hour over their allotted time during term time and the Home Office have imposed a civil penalty on that basis. So it's just to be really aware um, of, you know, if you are employing students on student visas, um, you know, during term time that they are restricted in what, what they can do and you really must keep the evidence of the term dates. Um, and just I think one final thing that has come up, especially, um, you know, now the, the world's opening up a little bit after COVID and we're feeling the full force of Brexit. We have so many queries about EU nationals coming to the UK um, as business visitors, um, you know, to come to a UK branch of um, their overseas organisation. And I think what what we found is it's just really important to note that if somebody's here as a visitor, they are time limited in terms of the amount of time they're allowed to spend in the UK per year. But equally, their their activities when they are here are severely restricted. And if the UK entity is found to be allowing somebody to work um, or fill a UK role when they're here as a business visitor, that can also lead to a civil penalty. So it, it's just those, those um, things are particular red flags for, for us at the minute, um, business visitors and, you know, allowing people to come to the UK from, you know, your subcontractors or a contracting entity overseas, make sure they're not doing anything outside of those permitted activities, because if they do, then potentially you're going to need to sponsor them to avoid, um, you know, falling foul of, of um, immigration law. No, thanks, Rachel. That's great. Um, and I think sort of to our listeners, obviously a bit of a, a whirlwind uh, or whistle stop tour today <laughs> through uh, right to work checks and and all of the updates. Um, so if you do have any questions or comments, then you can uh, email us at the usual email. So she speak HR at shesmith.co.uk um, and we'd be happy to to come back to you. I think recently we've done, um, you guys have done a webinar, haven't you? I think on, on right to work checks, which is on our website and an article as well. So um, again, email us if you want us to send you us you the link to that that's absolutely fine so well thank you both thanks Rory thanks Rachel for joining us um I hope you've uh, Rory I hope you've enjoyed your first time on the podcast and Rachel absolutely. for coming absolutely. back <laughs> <laughs> so no it's been great um but yeah thanks all thank you thanks a lot